Life Audio. Hey, welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friends, my partners in radio, Barnabas Piper and Ron Martin. Uh, boys, we have a big live event coming up. Uh, our live events are always big. Um, they're huge. They're huge cultural events. Uh, Piper, tell the audience how they can be involved in this. Well, the best way to be involved in this audience is to go to thehappyrant.com and to purchase your tickets for it. But I suppose you probably need to know when and where said event is. It will be April 18th, which is the Monday immediately following Easter, the Monday immediately preceding the last ever Together for the Gospel Conference in Louisville, Mm. Kentucky. So our live event will be just across the river from... Louisville in at Sojourn Church in is it new, it's New Albany is that right? Um, I think that's I right. Think so so it's just across the river from Louisville, like a down a ten minute drive from downtown. Tickets are twenty dollars. You can get them at thehappyrant.com. They are still available. Will be available right up until the time of the event, seven p.m. April eighteenth. The way these things work, we do a couple live recordings with the audience in the room, and then the last episode is pure interaction with the audience. So we set up a couple of microphones, people come up and pose questions to us, which, which are the most wide ranging, occasionally baffling, sometimes head scratching, mostly awesome questions from listeners and generally the best time. And then we just enjoy hanging out with you guys between episodes and afterwards. So come on out for that. It should be a blast. Excellent pipe. Good promo work. You're not rusty at all. Um, have you guys listened to the program since we sold out a couple of weeks ago? No, I've just listened to complaints from listeners who are like Lowe's. I'm getting ads for Lowe's and progressive insurance now. (laughs) So dude, I I listened this morning and, uh, it's hilarious. Yeah. They're, they're just dropping ads in there. It, it reminds me of, um, in Wayne's world, you guys remember Wayne's world where they, they sell out and they like sell the show to Noah Vanderhoof, the like Noah's arcade guy. And they're dropping like doing ad reads in, in Wayne's world. Uh, it reminds me of that. Uh, it's a, it's a good time, but, uh, yeah, my, fa- my favorite those, was right? that something slipped through the filters on one of them. And so, you know, we released that first episode a couple weeks ago, uh, and, and, you know, with the ad spots and a listener hits yeah. us up and he's, he thinks it's very funny. He lives somewhere in mm-hmm. Louisiana and was like, I just got an ad for a sports book at a local casino on your podcast, and I think it's amazing. Ooh. And I felt obliged <laughs> to let Life Audio know that that, that happened, because I'm sure that's not what they wanted to happen, but it yeah, it just it warmed my heart a little bit to have... I mean, if we're going to sell out, <laughs> let's sell all the way out, right? Let's go all the way to yeah, the Yeah, if we're going to sell, let's sell all the way out. I mean, Peyton Manning... Casinos. <laughs> Yeah, Peyton and Archie Manning, who are basically angels, they can do no wrong. They walk on water. They're they're doing casino ads. So I love yeah. how we think we can sort of my you know sort of like mildly sell out. Like like we had like a sellout. It used to be back in the day that a sellout was always a full sellout. You Did know you know what what's I mean? interesting though about selling out? Um, I would say people who are and I'm going to get this wrong. Let's say 35 and under, they don't even know what that phrase means. Like it means nothing to them. Like it's not a, it's not a concern. They were like, you know? I was born with my soul in the devil's hands. I didn't yeah, sell exactly. my soul to the devil. Might as well have the money too. You know, like 
Um, yeah, selling out, like not even a concern for a certain age person, which uh, I don't know. I find it kind of refreshing. Or maybe I'm just trying to justify the fact that, that we have finally sold out, uh, which is a thing that we've been wanting to do for a long time. But uh, speaking of selling out, uh, elegant radio segue. Uh, <laughs> some, something happened with Hillsong. There's a big Hillsong controversy. Uh, we're going to talk about it this morning. But Piper, give me like 30 seconds on this thing because I know nothing about it. Yeah. So the, I mean, the Hillsong thing has been sort of like showing its hand for a while because there was the whole Carl Lentz thing uh, where he, uh-huh. he got axed for inappropriate behavior a couple years ago. There was a situation where they, they closed their Dallas campus because of inappropriate behavior by... Uh, by the the pastors there in terms of lavish lifestyle and accusations of sexual misconduct. I think there was a rape accusation there as well. Um, mm. And then in more recent months, there's been just a, a kind of a, a piling up of accusations against Brian Houston, who's the founder of Hillsong. So it started in, I think the early eighties, um, you know, and it's mm. everything from kind of the, the bullying and control aspect, you know, an unhealthy culture in that way. And then some recent accusations of sexual misconduct of some kind. So he's now resigned. And so, you know, Hillsong, in in our world, this reformed world, like we really only think of Hillsong as we find the the worship songs that they put out that we like and we work them into our worship service and we kind of, we don't really talk about where they came from. Um, Yeah. But it's it's a worldwide kind of charismatic church phenomenon. Den- almost a denomination mm-hmm. network of churches. It's huge, millions of people mm-hmm. involved. So this is, I mean, globally, this is a much bigger deal than just in the United States. It is, and ju- you know, one more instance of a prominent church leader, or in this case, leaders, biting the dust because of leadership failures, sexual misconduct, financial mishandling of things. It's kind of across the board. Uh, same things yeah. we've seen in recent years elsewhere. So that's kind of the, the banner overview. Interesting. So I have a question uh, about something that you just said. As a pastor, and you guys are both pastors, so if you're, if you're a new listener to the program, uh, I'm the only non-pastor uh, in the studio. Uh, our other two hosts are men of the cloth. So if you're a pastor, how lavish does your lifestyle have to get before it turns on you. You know what I mean? Because like people like a certain amount of lavish, but then it's like, oh, too lavish. Like I had forgotten that Hillsong even had churches. I thought they were just like a music <laughs> publisher. Um, I didn't really even know what the whole deal was with Hillsong. But, uh, you know, if, if, if lavish lifestyle is one of the talking points on this thing, Ronald, how lavish does it have to get before, before you, the tide's turning and people are mad at you? Well, I mean, that's really the magic quest, you know. It really I mean? is. It's you like, want to know it, like how far you can go, but not yeah, too far. I mean, t- yeah, I mean, totally. I, there's never been an answer to that. I mean, like, there's yeah. what always what I always find fascinating is that there's all of these unwritten rules in pastoral ministry in terms of like the level of lavishness mm-hmm. a pastor is is allowed to have. I always find it fascinating mm-hmm. that, and again, I'm I'm not saying I'm saying this because this is always the perception, right? Like nobody nobody ever is upset when a pastor has like a nice house, um, mm-hmm. nobody even like blinks an eye, but as, as long as they get invited nicer, over, as long as they get invited over, if a pastor drives a nice car, like man, the judgments just start rolling out like mud. 
Um, yeah. So we we have these weird things where it's like like even preachers and sneakers, right? It's yeah. like 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 dude, you you cannot have like if a pastor has a pair of tennis shoes that are that are two hundred dollars or more, like something's wrong. Like all the red flags go up and the radar is all blinking. So we we have these things that are just. Like, I guess because they're a little more visible and because they carry like a particular kind of like cultural, um, I don't know, you know, when you see somebody in a nice car, it means that they have money to burn and it means that they, they live a more lavish lifestyle and we expect more out of our pastors than that. In other words, we don't want to think of our pastors as being as materialistic as we are, like they're held to a higher and a different standard. And so, yeah, when you see, gosh, man, you know, when you see Carl Lentz, you know, like you know, he's pastoring, you know, whatever Hillsong Manhattan and he's kicking it with Justin Bieber. And, you know, he's posting all these pictures of him at the gym with his, you know, with his abs, like, you know, bulging out to the moon and you just, (laughs) you know, and you're like, okay, so there's, there's something about this. There's an image that he's curating. That's really important for him to get out into public consciousness. And at the same time, he's a dude that's up there preaching like every other preacher on a Sunday. And you're yeah. like, whoa, so there's whoa, something whoa, that whoa, doesn't whoa. vibe with me about this. Is it fair yeah. to say that he was a preaching and b preaching like every other, like every other preacher <laughs> yeah. out there? I, have questions I think about respectfully both of that statement. He was yeah. just preaching like every other preacher wishes they could preach, which is to an audience which of is like for 10, seven minutes. People yeah. in downtown Manhattan. So right. <laughs> so I want to I want to lean into that for a second. Um, the thing that you said about the shoes and the thing you said about the car is it so much pipe that people are mad about the shoes themselves being $200 or mad that their pastor is the kind of Ponzi preening individual that uh, kind of showcases this aspect of themselves. You know what I mean? So yes and yes. Well, it's okay. Yeah. yeah, It's uh, it's a combination. So it's, it's also there, there are kind of different swaths of Christianity. Like there is a whole culture of, and I, you know, I don't want to pin it on the charismatic church, but it's that it, you see it more in that realm where the sort of God's goodness to people is shown in material ways, sort of a health, wealth, Mm -hmm. gospel Mm -hmm. type of thing, prosperity gospel, which means that lavishness is actually up to a point a sign of God's goodness. Sure. You know, then you get yeah. like Creflo Dollar trying to raise money for a new jet, and you're like, see, this, this, this might have jumped the shark. Um, but then there's the there, there's all then there's the kind of our more sort of conservative, reformedish, evangelical world where like we feel guilty about lavish, but not opposed to it. We just need to explain it. So mm-hmm. it's more like, hey, look at look at the new pair of Jordans a really generous church member just gave me. So we've announced that, A, we have Jordans, <laughs> and we're that kind of person. B, I didn't uh-huh. spend any money on it. Um, so there's sort of like that, there's this like guilt about showing off the things that we're enjoying or spending money on. I mean, everybody who has money burns $200 on something stupid at some point. Um, yeah. It's just that, you know, normally it like, it kind of quietly disappears and I don't know why it's like, you know, if somebody's a collector of, you know, vinyl records or old books, you know, why yeah. is that significantly better than, you know, 
Michael Jordan's, you know, having every pair of Michael Jordans. I don't, I don't know. We just create our own value yeah. categories. That's what's so fast. Like even pipe what you just said, like, so it's not okay for the pastor to spend $200, but it's perfectly okay for a church member to have spent the $200 on the shoes to give to the pastor. Yeah, absolutely. Like there's no judgment there. That's gener- That's not judgment. That's generosity. But if the pastor were to do it, it's like, it's judgment. Cause it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, are we being good stewards with the with with the money that we pay you? You know, it's um, weird though to even think about that. Like, as a has a grown man who's not in your family like ever bought you a, a pair of shoes? You know what I mean? Like, did, like do grown men give each other shoes? They, actually, I had my friend of mine bought me a pair of Jordans two years ago. I kid you not. Well, that's, that's the thing. ridiculous. It's, there's it's it's <laughs> not. It's like they wouldn't buy you a pair of like Red Wing boots, but yeah. but they would like. these particular style and almost collector's items like Jordans are statement shoes, you know, most other nice shoes that like, so I love red wing boots. They cost about the same amount as a pair of Jordans. Uh, right. But they're not statement shoes. They're just like, I I have two pairs and I don't need more than two pairs because they're going to last me for forever. They last guys. They're going to last me forever. Don't worry. I know I paid a little bit extra, but they're going to last me forever. Which is, which is my same justification for buying a Toyota forerunner, which is not a cheap car, which is don't worry, guys, I can drive this until I'm 50, which for me is still a couple years away. So it, you know, you, you, you kind of work in the justification of these things. When we talk about lavish lifestyles for these people, though, we're talking like, oh, we're, we're not functioning in like conservative evangelical scales of, of lavishness. We're talking about yeah. chartered jets and private island vacations and multimillion dollar homes and so forth, where it's like, oh, you. It's not just a question of like, are you living comfortably it's a question of are you abusing the donations to the church <laughs> it's it's almost into the realm of like uh what's the word they're, they're basically almost like embezzling for per, per personal use to in a sense it's just really public interesting boys let's take a break and then we're gonna do a question about leadership all right boys so here's my thing so this guy uh piper you said his name was brian yeah, Brian Brian solid, Houston like, is the is the founder of Hillsong. He's the Dale of Hillsong. Dude, most <laughs> most famous like Christian Brian. Are there any other Brian's even in contention? Is Brian McLaren still considered a Christian? <laughs> Brian McLaren. <laughs> Dude, it's crazy to me that that guy's name was Brian. You know what I mean? It didn't fit with the rest of his like uh I, I don't know, whatever his pers- persona was. The name Yeah, his Brian name should have been like Rocky Rocky McLaren. You know? No, it should have been something real soft. You know what I mean? Uh, like Drew, Trevor. Drew McLaren. Evan. Drew McLaren. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Something, something real non-threatening. Uh, but anyway. Trevor McLaren. Trevor McLaren. Even like, well, yeah, Trevor like McLaren's the guy. Br- Brennan. You your, Brennan McLaren. Yeah, Brennan. Yeah, Brennan McLaren. A lot of ends, but I like it. Um, all right, so this guy, Brian Houston... You know, running this multi-billion-dollar mega empire, flying on private jets, uh, maybe a, allegedly a little bit of a jerk in the office. Like, I, I feel like, again, if you reach a certain level of success as a pastor, you're getting accused of being a bully. Is this true? And how successful do you have to get? Ronald, speak to this. 
Oh, man. I don't. Yeah, that's a great question, Big T. I mean, I think, yeah, I think this is what happens, right? I think when the organization becomes, when the organization becomes bigger, you know, the biggest thing in the room is the organization. Mm -hmm. And then you have a face that represents the organization. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden now there's all of these, there's all of these systems that have to be in place to protect the organization, protect the person that fronts the organization. Now, because they have to protect the face of the organization, it means that that face gets to start getting away with all kinds of different things because if anything happens to him, it's going to put the organization into jeopardy. And mm-hmm. I think that's what you see when these things get to a place of like global status like Hillsong. Everything goes into self-protection mode. So therefore, you know, power does funny things to people mm-hmm. and it leads them down paths where it really exposes things in their life that have gone undealt with for years and years. And before you know it, um, you have a guy that is, again, like, you know, living the way nobody can reasonably or live, you know, healthily from, which is having that much power, having that much fame. And -hmm. then before you know it, he makes some some pretty big mistakes. Uh And but now it's up to the organization to say, well, do we got to protect this guy? Because he's the face of our organization. And the primary thing is that we remain, you know, solid and valid as an Mm -hmm. institution. And so it, it gets to this place where, um, man, this guy, in a sense, and I don't know all the ins and outs of Houston's situation, but in a sense, like sometimes these guys, they just get away with bloody murder, right? Because, mm-hmm. no, I mean, man, you bring him down, you put the institution in jeopardy, and so you, you can almost get away with anything f- un- until somebody or some situation spirals out of control to the degree that now it has to be dealt with. Right. Well, well, yeah, or unless the calculus is, can we make this guy the fall guy and the organization still lives on and everybody I mean, gets to keep cash and checks, you know? Yeah, 100%. Like, that's um, when it flips to say, now yeah. this guy is putting us in jeopardy, but if we yeah. are able to, we have to let him go to actually keep the institution alive. And right, so we can throw this guy on the altar, you know, slaughter him and, and keep, keep going, maybe. Um, well, so and then I, it's it's ministry, right? So it's really complicated yeah. because ministry is different than every other vocation because of the volatility, right? Like you you can you can make all the same mistakes that Brian Houston made in any other, well, almost any other line of work, and it's not going to yeah. cost you anything. It's just going to make headlines. But in ministry, yeah. it, it it eventually costs you your livelihood, and it probably should, right? right. I, I mean, mean, we we have different standards for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So where is the organization now, Pipe? Like, is uh, are people still like hanging on to their shares of Hillsong? Is it gonna bounce? Is it gonna bounce back, or is it like a wrap for the whole thing? It kind of it kind of looks like you know everybody is beginning to jump ship. Where so a lot of there's a lot of large successful churches who are part of the Hillsong network. So it's not they're not all mm-hmm. called like Hillsong whatever city. They have different names, yeah. but a lot of those are kind of pulling their affiliation. Um, <clears throat> which means they'll probably be fine, uh, mm-hmm. or they'll have their own little toxic subcultures. But since they're not plugged into the hole, they're not going to be investigated for it. I don't know. You know, it, it, it's probably a, a whole spectrum. Hillsong worship is probably going to. This is a total guess. This is not based on any information. I would just venture to guess that they will, they will end up rebranding, changing their name to something else. <clears throat> And yeah. continue to do what they do. Because, I mean, they, they are one of the two or three most successful music producer, publisher, 
writers out there in terms of popular music. Mm -hmm. The only question there is like, who owns the intellectual property? You know, is it a situation like where, where Hillsong, the church owns that they make the majority of the money off of it, et cetera. Cause if so, then there is sort of an interdependence on one another to, to continue to survive. Um, I just, yeah, I I don't, it's hard to see Hillsong surviving as Hillsong given all of this also to, to what end? Like, why is it beneficial yeah. for Hillsong to continue to exist as is instead of? But I mean, yes. But, but Ronnie made the point earlier: things become about self-protection, self-preservation, right. Uh, right. which means that people are not thinking rationally; they're not thinking wisely. Wisdom here is: if this is the kind of if this is the kind of uh, organizational health, lack of health, like the, genuine abuse going on, all sorts of misconduct. We need to tear this thing down and and clean up the mess and maybe rebuild or maybe become something else. But that's not how anybody thinks. Everybody's like, "What can we preserve out of this?" That's that is how yeah. that is always how yeah. human nature thinks. And so it's easy for me to say from the outside, they should just tear it down and do something different. Likely that won't happen, and it'll be kind of a slow fizzle. Well, but I, th- I think you're thinking about it like an actual pastor would, which is a, a good impulse for you to have. So. Like kind of real granular, how how do you prevent this from happening? Like because there's a there's a an ego kind of fallen human heart aspect to this, where if left to our own flesh and our own devices, we would all probably like engineer some version of this for ourselves, where we're we're just getting gradations more rich and famous. So as a pastor, how do you? How do you guard against this happening, knowing that, like, you know, neither of you are in churches or empires that are going to become this big, but like just on a conceptual level? It, it seems to me that you don't need to guard against it if you take the role of pastoring really seriously, as opposed to mm-hmm. the role of builder, CEO. It, it's when, because I mean, pastoring is shepherding a flock you know and we just love to rationalize well my flock is global no it's not that's not a flock that's not that's not what that is that is you know that's that's a network um yeah and and so but if you look at it and you you think about where the bible says you know shepherd the flock of god that the holy spirit has given you the flock of god that is among you well, that that kind of gives a definition of like, oh, I have this group of people who I'm supposed to be pouring myself into, teaching, leading, shepherding, discipling, being accountable to, et cetera. If you do that, I don't see a lot of risk of the, you know, pride is always a risk in our hearts, but I don't see the risks of fame and wealth and fortune. Now, of course, there are a lot of small church pastors who are bullies, who are abusers, who are a lot of things, but... I don't know, like, it doesn't feel like a risk for me to say, oh, I don't need to fend off global fame and the, the, the risk of the lavish lifestyle. Like, no, I'm just one of the pastors at a mid-sized church who gets paid a fair wage to live normally, and mm-hmm. my calling is to care for a certain group of people. Um, I, I, more and more, I have become uncomfortable with the idea of calling large network leaders pastors. Because I mm-hmm. I don't think what Brian Houston was doing was pastoring. I think we've I yeah. think we've twisted the title of pastor to be, you know, it's a spiritualized CEO, 
a spiritualized yeah. president of an organization. If he was just called the president of Hillsong Network, it, I would, you know, his actions wouldn't be any more defensible, but I would at least feel better about like it, it, the sure. accuracy of who the man, who the man was and what he was doing. Interesting. Ronald. Yeah, no, it's hard to disagree with any yeah. of that. You know, I think it's, you know, it's funny. So my, um, ironically, my, my worship guy, my worship pastor graduated from Hillsong in Australia seven, eight years ago. He, he went through the whole mm. program. And so he's pretty devastated right now because he actually mm. knew some of these guys that um, he had a lot of personal interaction with them. Mm. And so, you know, to, to him even, like he's surprised, um, you know, because he had a relationship with them that, you know, he would have said, well, I, you know, I, I felt like I knew these guys and, and I, yeah. I don't like the way they're responding as an organization to what's going on. There's a lot of cover up. And yeah, a lot of self-preservation going on. And so we I, it's funny because we just talked about this yesterday afternoon. And, you know, it, it kind of as soon as you see more and more prominent leaders fall, you know, the first thought is, man, can anybody be trusted? Can, can, I mean, is everybody hiding something? Is it all a sham? Is it all a farce? Yeah. And, you know, and it's just it's like it's not right. You know, we see these prominent, we, you know, we can we can count on two hands prominent leaders that have fallen in the last couple of years. And you go, well, no, they just get all the attention. It's the thousands upon thousands of faithful pastors out there that don't get the attention, that don't have the platform, that yeah. are, you know, imperfect people, but they're being faithful and they're, mm -hmm. you know, they're they're living out their faith as they're pastoring people. And I th and I think to to Pipe's point, I mean, you ha regardless of the size of your of your organization, you you have to surround yourself with people that you have true accountability to, you know, that are willing to say, hey, I'm seeing something in your life that's concerning and I love you enough to talk to you about it, even if it means that you're in a place of power where you could fire me for saying that. Um, my call is to surround myself with people that I, I can create a culture with that they're not afraid to say, dude, what's going on and what are you doing? And are you mm -hmm. okay? And, you know, can we talk about your life? Can we talk about the example that you're setting for your congregation? Like, are you somebody that is shepherding the flock, but not under compulsion? And to mm -hmm. just keep, like, keep, keep ourselves in particular scenarios and keep ourselves within cultures that are being built where, hey, you know what? Everybody can get, everybody can get sidetracked, you know, with, um, with all kinds of temptations. Do we have people around us that are, that are helping us in that, you know? And I yeah. think when you get to institutions that are that big, like Pipe was saying, I mean, we're we're not talking about a lot of pastoring going on anymore. We're we're talking about a lot of other things, and it's easier to slip through the cracks and lose yourself. And I think that's uh, you know that's and that can happen in a small organization as well, right? I mean, it yeah, it, it it's not necessarily the size. The size makes it a lot more difficult, though. I think you know um, than it would be for you know a guy in a church of fifty people can screw up just as bad as Brian Houston. Yep, um, but it's going to look a lot different. You know? Sure. Well, I, and I think there's, you know, I think about like size of organization is the easiest thing to point at because all of these prominent failures are from large organizations. I think the flip side of that is what Ronnie said, which is that large organizations make them prominent. It's not, it's not, I, I don't know that there is a greater likelihood of pastoral failure in a large church than in a small church. There is a greater likelihood of everybody knowing about it. Um, right. you know, I, I was on a podcast maybe a year ago with some guys who came out of the independent fundamentalist Baptist world, like 
the kind of thing where there's whole Twitter accounts dedicated to like the crazy preaching clips of these guys. I mean, it's it's a whole weird world, primarily small churches. And let me tell you, just as prone to pastoral failures, sexually, financially, definitely bullying, etc. They're just churches of 80 people in like the hills of Kentucky and North Carolina, so nobody knows about it. The What stands out in my mind when it comes to things like how do you faithfully pastor in a large organization is somebody like Billy Graham, who mm-hmm. I, I don't, he wasn't a pastor. He wasn't pastoring a congregation, but he was faithfully preaching the gospel for decades. And if you go back and look at the, uh, the ins and outs of his personal spiritual life, it was everything Ronnie just said. There were, there were people close to him who held him accountable. He, he intentionally just threw himself on the ground, quite literally, before the Lord with regularity. His humility, his prayer, his knowledge of his own sin, you know, the Billy Graham rule, the way that he would just not be alone with a woman, uh, has been panned often. I think we've even made fun of it to a degree on here. But for somebody in a public status like that, who's trying to avoid the appearance of evil, the accusation, the anything that would besmirch the reputation of him or the gospel, there's, there's wisdom in it. And you look at that and you're like, yeah, it, it can absolutely be done. The man faithfully mm-hmm. and without moral failing led people to the cross week after week, day after day for decades. I mean, probably preached to more people than anybody alive today has. Probably, I mean, I don't even think that's yeah. a question. And so, yeah, how do we avoid it? The, the, <clears throat> the formula is pretty simple. The faithfulness is really hard is, is kind of what it right. comes down to. Right. No, that's well, a good word. I think it's too. I mean, to add to that real quick, I think, you know, we all carry we we all ca- you know we all carry our own power dynamic, and it's you know, in in what is you know what it, what is the Jesus way of you know of of living out the Christian life, but diminishing our own power, and you know, it is going to be easier for somebody in a position that uh, for a guy like Brian Houston who's in the position he's in, or a Carl Lentz. I mean, power does funny things, right? So I am not like I'm not faced with that, you know. In in it's in a small to mid sized church, um, I have a certain kind of power, but it's you know it's not to the level that a Brian Houston has, which is going to come with its own set of implications and temptations. But what I do have is the, is my own set of my own power dynamic, given the, you know, given, given the, uh, you know, given the environment that God has placed me in and it, you know, and, and the way to live out, I, I, I would say, you know, the way to live out the way of Jesus is to always be constantly, you know, doing things to diminish that power, be aware of that power, be aware how it affects other people, be aware how it affects you. And again, what is pastoral ministry, but, but living out the humility of Christ to, a localized group of people that he's given you. And that takes a ton of effort. It takes a ton of, like Pipe just said, you know, going before the Lord and, and, you know, being prostrate every once in a while or more than every once in a while and saying, Lord, you know, a wretched man that I am, you know, like, help me. I, I can't do this. This is too much for me. I have a church of 40 people. It's too much for me, right? I, I can't even handle the power I have if I have a church of, you know, 40 people. It's overwhelming. It's too much. I need you to intercede. I need you to humble me. I mean, that's the call right there. It's, it's going to just be harder if you're Brian Houston. Yeah. yeah. It's so striking to me that, I mean, you, you were just talking about the way of Jesus, which is probably an easy phrase to overlook because it just kind of rolls off the tongue. But one of the last things that Jesus said 
you know, he was arrested and he looks at them and he goes, I could call, call down 12 legions of angels right now. <laughs> right. He basically is like, you would all, you would all be finished if I chose to use my power. Yeah. But instead I'm going to take up my cross. I'm going to bear the beatings and I'm, and I'm, I'm going to quite literally lay my life down for you. Uh, that's more the call of the pastor. Not that we have 12 legions of angels, but we might have 12 legions of deacons or spiritual authority that we choose to wield or whatever. And we say, that's, that's not what this is about. This is, there, there is a, there's a taking up of the cross for the sake of other people, leading them to the cross. And, you know, and Jesus exemplified it. He, and then he said it out loud. I mean, it was, it was, I think that was for that was to basically, this is the calculus of salvation. I could call down 12 legions of angels, but I'm going to lay down my life. Go, you know, follow suit, spiritual leaders. Yeah. Good stuff, boys. Good Let's take a break. When we get back, I want to run a quick etiquette question by you guys. All right, boys. So here's the setup. Uh, had some overnight company at the house. Uh, great people. Listeners to the program, uh, the guy's a man of the cloth, and we spent a couple of really great days together, uh, but they were long days, and they were, they were very people-heavy days in as much as I was teaching all my classes, having meetings, doing all the usual stuff, and then we would hang out kind of late into the night uh, as couples together, and one of the nights, I had been hanging out, you know, we were out in the smoke room, we were laughing, having a good time, and... I left the room and I'm an introvert, right? So I, I have a, like, there's a, there's a top up for me on all this where like, I just, even if I'm having fun and it's, it's a great hang, like I just get enough of it. So I left the room. I came into my office for a couple minutes just to like answer some emails, kind of be alone. And I was watching some tape. I was watching like an offensive lineman that I, that I like. And, um, the next morning my buddy comes out and he's like, Hey, he's like, was everything okay last night? You know? And I'm like, yeah. Um, but he was, I, I don't know if offended is the right word, but he was concerned that I had left the room and I hadn't sort of announced what I was doing. Um, my question to you guys is like, did that require an explanation or like as an introvert, how much are you allowed to get away with um, before you have to explain things? What do you guys think? Um, I mean, I, yeah, I would. Uh, an explanation is always nice. I mean, is it in the contract, though, that like I have to keep hanging out until the last dog is hung? You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, it's your house, you're hosting, there's like, there's a social contract, an unspoken, yeah. unwritten social contract there. So I would say, I would say if, if you're going to, if you're going to, if you, if you need to bail because you've just reached your peak, I would say, you know, saying, Hey guys, I'm going to shut it down for the night or, Hey, I need, I need to step away for about an hour. I got to take care of a couple of, couple of things here. I always feel uh -huh. like just the announcement of that. I mean, because here's the thing. Do you, do you want to have that conversation that you had on the back end? It's probably better if you just sort of explain it. <laughs> I, it here's then the you're, thing, you're though. Go, you know? I don't want to have it at all. You know, I don't want to have it on the front end. Like, and I thought about it in the room. And my thought was doing some kind of announcement. Um, the thought of doing that exhausted me even more. So I just, I just skipped it. 
but I think I should have probably done it. And I'm not, I'm not coming at my guy here. He's, uh, if he's listening, Tyler, um, great dude, really sensitive dude, good pastor, right? Like really dialed into people's emotions. I was going to say the fact that he uh, thought to ask means that he's a little bit more clued into sort of how might people be feeling about things than many folks. Yeah. Yeah. I would have like T I would have thought it was kind of weird that you just, that you just ditched. Yeah. But you're an extrovert. You know what I mean? You would have sat there and like talked until two in the morning. No. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And I would have been in, so I like, I'm married to the introvert of all introverts too. So like I, so I have a Uh little, like I've, you know, I have that dynamic. I'm living with that dynamic all the time. But I mean, to me, it's like, dude, why didn't, you know, just to, just to ghost it, you know, it's like, you could have just say something just, that's cool. Just say you uh-huh. got to you got to go. Yeah, it's all right. I yeah. think I think finding those neutral phrases that that announce your departure but don't open the door for a conversation, like Ronnie's suggestion of "Hey, I got to go take care of a couple things. I'll be back in a bit. Uh-huh. Hang tight, just chill." Is that works really well? Because like taking care of a couple things could be decompressing my brain in silence for thirty minutes. You know, right? It, it, but it's but it does sort of it, it it puts the other person in a position of guilt free. You know, they didn't chase you off because uh-huh. one of the weird. So I'm, I'm obviously I lean more extroverted. Um, one of the weird dynamics between introverts and extroverts is that there is, it's not a moral neutral. Uh-huh. Introverts resent extroverts often, you know, yeah. because we suck up all of the air in the room and we, you know, hold you captive in conversation for hours on end. And we will, mm-hmm. we will shut the bar down and that kind of thing. Um, and you're like, no, I'm tapped out three hours ago, and, and yet I'm I'm a hostage here. And so there's sort of a, yeah. a, a resentment. And so keeping it morally neutral, but allowing you the space you need, makes total sense to me. Uh, unless you have, yeah, the, I think you can do it. I think you can do it and feel good about. Unless it. you have the kind of friendship mm-hmm. where you just like they know you well enough to be like, oh, Ted's doing that thing where he's got to go get some quiet for a minute, and then they don't even think about it again. It's just Ted doing that thing. Yeah, but that's a pretty rare kind of understanding in a friendship. I think. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we're we're early enough in this friendship. It's it's kind of like we're still dating, you know. Um, we we haven't been together long enough to like uh, really know each other at that level. But uh, yeah, good input, boys. I was just curious. Well, it's it's an uh, interesting well, question because my my daughter, my younger daughter, is leans more introverted, and so like when she's around a bunch of people who she's not close with, yeah, her her emotional reserves tap out real quick. She's also thirteen, which means that. She doesn't have sort of the the maturity and patience to bear this out. So this is an ongoing conversation between the two of us of like, how do you navigate this politely so that people don't just look around and go, where did you go? Why did you just disappear? That kind of thing. And it's, you know, and it's tough for her to be like, what am I supposed to do? Like tell everybody I'm going to my room. I'm like, "Uh, just quietly be like, hey, I'll be back in a minute. It'll be back in a minute. Just sort of like letting people off the hook kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Ironically, uh, Ronald just left the show abruptly, <laughs> kind of with no explanation. It, it, initially, the word was he had a heart out at 8.30. But I think he was enjoying the last conversation so much that like, the heart out became much softer. That's an, that's an extrovert's heart out, which is, uh, I, I'm reserving the right to leave at this time, but if it's fun, I'll hang out for a while longer. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly what it is, for sure. Um, we should probably close this at pipe. You think? Probably a good idea. Get a quick Patreon. Yeah. yeah, pipe. We've done what we always do, in that we have presented a conversation so engaging to Ronald that he stayed a little bit longer before then leaving. Um, and until next time.
We want to take a moment to thank the team at Life Audio for partnering with us on this podcast. Be sure to go to lifeaudio.com and take a look at the other podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Have you ever attempted to read the entire Bible? Did you do it, or did you only make it part way? I'm John Stonge, and I host a podcast that will make it possible for you to make it through the entire Bible, one chapter at a time. I've been hosting the Chapter a Day Audio Bible Podcast since 2015, and every single day of the week, I read one chapter of Scripture, then follow that up with a time of prayer. And if you're looking for daily insights and inspiration directly from God's Word, I hope you'll give the Chapter a Day Audio Bible a listen. You can find it at lifeaudio.com or on on your favorite podcasting app.